people who need you, a people who need you even at times when we don't admit that, a people who need you no matter what is going on in our lives, whether it is good or bad. In times of good, we need you to celebrate with you. In times of bad, we need you to pick us up and carry us. We ask, Lord, that we would be in this place filled with your spirit, that we would leave this place telling the world about you. And we ask, Lord, these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, and the people say, Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to your Apostles' Creed, or look on the screen. It's number 881 in your hymn book. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he arose from the head. He sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. talk about what we learned in Sunday school today. What was the theme? Jesus being tempted in the wild. He was tempted in the wild, right, in the wilderness. And how long was he there? God. He was there 40 days and 40 nights. So 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was, um, he fasted in the wilderness, right? And we talked about that number 40, do you remember anything special about that number 40? What do we, what do we call that? It's the number that means uh, that something's going to happen after 
night. It's a holy number. We talk about it being a number for cleansing, right? And Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. What else happened for 40 days and 40 nights? Um, the Israelites had to wait 40 years because they didn't get the promised land. Yeah. They had to wait 40 years. Good. And then there was one more. What was it? There were some people swimming, huh? Noah and his ark. It had to rain for 40 days and 40 nights while Noah was in the ark. And so what was the cleansing there? Was God cleansing the world? Yeah, it had gotten pretty bad, hadn't it? And then 40 days or 40 years in the wilderness, what was he doing? What was he cleansing? He was cleansing Jesus. Okay, yeah, when he, when he was fasting, he was cleansing Jesus. When, he was, when the 40 years happened... He was cleansing the Israelites, right? Because they had gotten all fussy and and um, nasty, right? Just like we get sometimes. And so he said, you know, you've got to wait. You can't empty yet. What else did we learn about? Did we learn about Satan tempting Jesus? Yeah. Are we tempted sometimes? We are, yeah. We are tempted a lot. And what did we learn from Jesus and how he handled Satan and all of his temptations? We know what? We know who we are and whose we are, right? And who are we? We are God's children. We are redeemed by God, right? So we know who we are. We are the children of God. And we know whose we are. We are redeemed by God, right? And so now we need to look out there and we need to invite everyone to Sunday school, right? Because we have three rooms we can fill up with kids and we have an extra adult class that we can fill up and we want to invite everyone to Sunday school, right? Right, so how are you going to tell them that? Yeah, it's, it's hard to do, trust me. But anyway, on the radio, we invite you all to join us for Sunday school. It starts at 945. We have coffee for adults, and we will add classes and teachers as the need grows. And we hope to see you there, right? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful home church that we have to go to, for our Sunday school teachers and leaders. And we pray that we will enjoy coming here, Father, that you will give us a hunger to be with one another and to learn from other one another so that we can grow and learn to learn the word of God and to resist the temptations that Satan may find for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Would you all play with me, please? Dear God, we ask that you'll be with us today in our service and, and that you'll bless the message and you'll give us ears and hearts to listen and help us be ready to understand God. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In the Lord's word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more 
Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, with the Lord there is plenteous redemption. And the Lord The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Here are the names that are on our list this morning for prayer. We lift up Eva H.B. Fields, Ashton McEarl, John Dunn, Ricky Young, the military, our world leaders, an unspoken request. Joan Rhodes, Raymond Morris family, Harold and Carlin Hurst, the family of Johnny Lynn, Mike Johnson, Emma Davis, and the McNeil family, and thanksgiving for family and friends. Are there other names that you would have us add as a prayer request or give thanks for this day? Foreman Campbell. Oh, okay, Diana Upright. Are there any others? Rebecca Manus. Are there others? Patsy C. If there are no others, may we pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the times that we have been carried through times of trouble and trial and tribulation. We give you thanks for the times that you picked us up and walked with us through the fires of life. We give thanks for the time that you guided the doctors and the nurses in their hands as they operate, as they use the wisdom that comes and flows from you in order to be able to save and to heal. Help us, Lord, to realize that there are so many other requests that have not been spoken. They're on our hearts and they're in our minds, but we have not spoken them out loud for whatever reason. And we ask, Lord, that you would hear those cries as the Holy Spirit, with its groanings and moanings, conveys to your throne the needs that we find ourselves carrying. The burdens that we have, we ask that you would lift them, that we would be given the peace which enables us to take those burdens off of our shoulders and give them to you. And now, Lord, we want to pray together the way you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would our ushers come forward at this time? Lord, out of an abundance of blessings that you have given us that we can neither earn, nor work for, nor deserve, we ask, Lord, that you would accept back from us these tithes and these gifts and these offerings to use in this place and the world around us, and we ask it in your name. Amen.
now join together with Open Our Eyes. taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing Oh 
you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Therefore if there is any consolation in Christ, if any spirit of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know there's going to come a time when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they want to or not, we will all bow down to Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6, hear the word of God. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but give thanks to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Well, this morning we're continuing a sermon series that we've been calling One Month to Live. It comes from a book, partially, that was written by Pastor Terry Shook. And he talks about what we would do, how we would act, what would we do differently if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we had 30 days to live. What would we change? Who would we go talk to? Who would we ask for forgiveness? Well, I hope that this sermon series has been more than just a series of words. I hope it's been something that has messed with your mind. Now, what do I mean by that? I hope it is something that has made you go, wow. What would I do differently if I had a month to live? 
what would I do differently if I knew that the people that I love and care for, I would see them for the last time 30 days from now. What would I do differently if I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was going to call me home in 30 days? What would I do differently? Who would I talk to? Who would I go apologize to? Who would I ask forgiveness from? I really truly believe that for some of you in this room, and some of you perhaps listening by radio this morning, it's already began to change. It's already began to reshape you, like a potter shaping something on a wheel. You begin to be shaped and changed into something different than what you are. As you think about, what would I do if I had 30 days, one month to live? Well, this week's topic has been kind of a tough one. We talked about living passionately. We talked about loving completely. This one I've struggled with a little bit. Not quite sure why. Trying to get my head wrapped around the fact that Jesus Christ had to learn humbly was tough because I can't imagine Jesus needing to do anything. After all, is he not God incarnate, God in human flesh, and was perfect in all things? But I had a hard time wrapping my head and my mind around what would I do in this situation, which is learning humbly. One of the reasons I struggled was because the premise is that Jesus Christ is what we need to be, who we need to be, and who we need to shape ourselves to be more and more like. There are four verses that we began the series with now several weeks ago. Romans 8.29, which comes from Patterson's, not translation, but transliteration. Romans 8.29, which says, We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. In Ephesians 4.15, also from the message transliteration. God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Philippians 2.5, in your lives you must think and act like Jesus Christ. And then in John 14.11, this verse blows me away. Here's what it says. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I'm going to do greater things than you're going to do greater things than Jesus Christ. Have you tried walking on water lately? If they don't tell you where the rocks are, I sink like a stone. Walking on water is not one of my gifts. So how in the world can I do more than Jesus Christ has been able to do? I can do it through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. It sounds kind of crazy, but God created us to live a life just like his son is living. The fact that Jesus was humble is not surprising. I mean, that passage from Philippians 2 that his son lived when he walked on this earth, speaks to humility. Listen to it as I read a portion of it, starting in verse 6. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature, listen to this, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. God's your son. And the Greek alphabet, the Alpha, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He who created in all things and is in all things and is all things and has been all things and is all things and will be all things. God himself putting on human flesh, becoming human, making himself nothing, making himself a servant, making himself obedient to death, humbling himself. God in the flesh that's the very definition of being humble. God choosing to become flesh. 
If there were ever a definition of humble, that is it. But I thought it'd also be helpful to give you a definition of humility. Humility is not about convincing ourselves or others that we are unattractive or incompetent. It's not about convincing others that we're unattractive or incompetent. It's not about beating ourselves up or trying to make ourselves less than we are. Humility has to do with submitting willingly. It means a healthy self-forgetfulness. Humility is a freedom to stop trying what others want me to be and just be me and be okay with that. You see, humility is not pretending what we are not and accepting what one writer calls an appropriate smallness. I'd never heard that phrase before, but I like it. To be humble, to show humility, you have to accept appropriate smallness. In other words, sometimes I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. But as my daughters are quick to tell me, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I'm just the crumbs in the corner of the bag. So they, they cut me right down to earth and bring me right back down to earth pretty quickly. When I think too much of myself, God has a tendency to get my attention. When I start thinking, boy, look what I've done, God seems to have the propensity to whisper in my ear, be careful because pride goes before a fall. And then he gets my attention. And I realize that I have to be humble. I have to be learning and humility and humbleness. Jesus learned what it was like to wear human flesh. If you're wondering what in the world did Jesus learn, he learned what it was like to wear human flesh. He learned what it was like to suffer and be tempted on every point, just as we are. Jesus learned that obedience sometimes leads to suffering. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 5.8 that even though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience by what he suffered and what he went through. Luke tells us in Luke 2.52 that Jesus learned and grew like any other child. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see learning and we see humility. Jesus learned humbly. And again, it's hard for me to imagine why did Jesus have to learn humbly and how did it happen? Well, there's a couple of questions I want you to ask yourself. When we talk about learning, are you a learner? Do you enjoy learning or do you find it hard to learn? What keeps you from learning? Is it easy for you to admit that you don't know something? And I've got a point in asking you these questions I hope we'll get to in just a second you'll understand. Do you struggle admitting when you're wrong? Do you have a hard time going, two words, I'm wrong. Two words, I'm wrong. Are you overly concerned about what people think about you? In your relationship with others, are you primarily focused on what they can do for you or what you can do for the world around them and how you can pour the love of Christ into their life? Let me remind you there are four principles. Living passionately, loving completely. Today we're looking at learning humbly. And as we looked at living passionately and loving completely, I didn't struggle with those. But again, I struggle with this today. But then I realized something that I need to say to myself as I looked in the mirror. Learn from your struggles. Got any struggles? Anybody out there have struggles? Anybody listening by radio have any struggles? Let me tell you something about struggles. You're either in one, you've just come out of one, or you're about to go into one. Listen to that again. In struggles, you're either in the midst of one, you've just come out of one, or you're headed into one. Now, there are seven words that Jesus spoke 
when he went to the garden. Seven words, and they were really encouraging words. As he looked at the disciples, right before he fell to his knees in the garden before his arrest and started praying, he gave them seven words that just, I read these words and I'm so encouraged. It says, in this world you will have trouble. Wow. The disciples have been following him around for over three years. He's about to fall to his knees and start praying. He's about to be arrested by the Sanhedrin, carried in front and finally crucified. And he leaves him these encouraging words. In this world, you will have trouble. You notice what he says. He doesn't say, in this world, yeah, you might have trouble. He doesn't say, in this world, once you turn 50, you start having trouble. In this world, depending on where you live, you might have trouble. In this world, depending on who you run around with, you might have trouble. No, he just blatantly put it right out there. In this world, you will, you shall have trouble. We're going to have troubles, we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations. Talking about troubles, I want to introduce you to someone. Christina talked about him briefly, addressed him briefly in uh, Children's Church. I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Moses. Most of you know Moses, but I want to give you a little more insight perhaps into who Moses was and what's going on in his life. For 40 years, after, ever since he fled Egypt after killing an Egyptian and hiding him in the sand, Moses had lived the same life. What did he do? He lived in the barren wilderness. He struggled to survive. He struggled to make sense of his life. He asked himself things like, what am I doing here? How did I end up this way? If I see one more sheep, I'm going to throw up and die. I can't imagine going with any more sheep. Please, Lord, get these sheep away from me. Can you imagine what it would be like to spend all of that time watching sheep? And sheep are so silly and dumb that sometimes they do bad things. Okay, it's okay to laugh. Sheep are not the most exciting animals in the world. And so Moses is watching sheep. And he gets up that morning, and there's absolutely no reason to think that this day is going to be any different than the 14,693 days that had gone on before because they all blurred together. And so Moses goes out with the sheep. It's going to be another dry, dusty day, stranded in the wilderness, watching sheep, tending sheep, counting sheep, counting the days, living this life until it finally this life of struggle is gone and he can go home to be with the Lord. Moses is bored out of his mind. Well, little did he know that he was about to have an encounter with the living God and everything was just about to change. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes. No, put yourself in Moses' sandals because he didn't wear shoes. So Moses had on his sandals. So put yourself for just a moment in Moses' sandals. He wakes up. He's gotten dressed, put on the same robe he's probably worn with the sheep for the last six weeks because it's not like he has a lot of spare time to be washing clothes and hanging them up to dry because he has to follow the sheep wherever they go. So he goes out, he's watching the sheep, he's minding his own business, he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. As he nears Mount Sinai, he sees a, birth, a bush that's burning. Couldn't get that word out. He sees a bush that's burning. And that's no big deal. I mean, it's dry, lightning strikes, causes bushes to catch on fire. So he just kind of casually notices that bush over there. And he walks a little closer and he notices that bush, watches the sheep a minute, looks back, looks at the bush again, there's some sheep being bad over here. He goes back and he looks at the bush again, and the bush is still burning. So he goes, huh, this is odd. 
bushes usually burn up just like that because they're dry and brittle, like just like I am after spending all this time in the wilderness. And so he goes over to this bush, and listen to what Exodus 3, 3 tells us happened. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now that sentence actually should be written this way. Here, comma, I am. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But Moses hears the voice of God going, Moses, Moses. And Moses answers and goes, here I am. Do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this point, Moses hid his face because he knew that he could not look upon God and live. And the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am so concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses goes, yo, wait a minute. What do you mean, me go? What do you mean, go? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to them. And they ask me, what is his name? Well, what am I going to tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is who you will say sent you to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What was God telling Moses? What did he mean his name was I am? Pretty simple. God was saying, I'm the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same today, every day, and forever. I am the owner of everything. I am the Lord. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am the Savior. I am more than enough. I am God. Don't miss this. In a heartbeat, Moses not only knew what God's name was, he also knew what his name was. And you're thinking, huh, my Bible doesn't say that. It's pretty simple. Moses knew that God's name was I am. Well, if God's name is I am, then guess what my name is? I am not. What do I mean by that? Pretty simple. I am not the center of anything. I am not in control. I am not the solution. I am not all-powerful. I am not all-knowing. I am not calling the shots. I am not holding the world together. I am not the maker. I am not the savior. I am not God. Are you going through any struggles? Remember I told you you're either in one, been through one, or about to go into one. You have to understand that God's name is I am. One thing that our struggles, hardships, and difficulties teach us is that we are not God. Yes, there is a God. Yes, there is a creator and sustainer. Yes, we worship him. Yes, he is in control, but he is not me or us. When God allows us to go through struggles and difficulties, we learn to depend upon him. We learn our limits, and we're reminded to look to him for what we need most and we as we learn to depend upon him he fills us with power and strength if we had never had struggles or problems if we'd never had to depend on God he would never fill us with his Holy Spirit because we would never realize that we needed him we have to learn from our struggles we have to learn that I am not but I know the great I am I don't know how I'll make it through this mess I found myself in but I know the great I am this thing is too much for me to handle but I know the great I am I have no clue how to turn this thing around but I know the great I am Moses had a revelation that day that God was the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the creator, sustainer of the universe, the source of all power, the source of all strength. And Moses realized, guess what? I'm not God. I'm just a child of the king. I'm one who needs to be carried, picked up, loved, 
given mercy and grace. Second thing I want you to see this morning is we have to learn from our failures. You know, sometimes I'm reminded of something my father used to tell me. I used to hate to hear it when I was a teenager. Experience is a hard teacher, but a fool learns to know others. And I thought, oh, that's not a nice thing to say. Are you telling me I'm a fool? Well, sometimes I have to admit I, I kind of brush the edge of acting like one. But Dad said experience is a hard teacher. But sometimes that's what it takes for us to learn. Many times that's what it takes for us to learn. Sometimes I wish God didn't think I had so many lessons to learn. But sometimes I realize that the reason he leaves me in struggles is so that I can look to him and realize what's important. John 1.8 says this, 1 John 1.8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all fail. We all fall. We all have sin. We all look in the mirror and realize that sin is real. Sin is true. We were shopping yesterday. I bought a makeup mirror. Not for me, for my wife, by the way. Don't, don't get concerned. And in this makeup mirror, it's the oddest thing. You look at one side, and you see yourself normal size. You flip it over, and I went, whoa, because suddenly my face is about five times bigger than it was in the other mirror. Well, sometimes we need to look in the mirror and use that five times more powerful side and have it just right in front of us that we need to get rid of the sin in our lives, that we're in the midst of a struggle that we brought into our own lives. Why do I mean that we have brought the struggle into ourselves or into our own lives? Think about King David. King David was what? Everybody can say it together. A man after God's own heart, right? King David was a man after God's own heart. And I read the scriptures and I go, Oh boy, this paints a different picture of God than I understood. But then I realized what God is saying is, yes, David is a man after God's own heart, but it's because he realized his failure, he realized his sin, and he confessed his sin. You remember the story, I'll give you the short version. One spring, King David is not where he should have been. Where should he have been? In the spring when kings go to war. What was David? He was a king. What do you do in the spring? You go to war. What do kings do? They go to war in the spring. So where should David have been? He should have been out with the army. He should have been out doing war things. He should have been out doing king kind of things. Instead, David kicked back in the palace and was hanging out at home base. And he looked down, and you know the rest of the story. He looked down, and he saw Bathsheba. And things went from good to not good to really not good to really awful very quickly. And it all ended up, David committed cold-blooded murder. He had Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, killed by putting him in the front of the army and then leaving him there. So what did David do? Oh, what have I done? I've killed Uriah. No, David tried to hide his sin. He tried to cover his sin up. He did what you and I do. He lied. He rationalized. He tried to cover it up. He ignored it. He tried to forget it. The bottom line is David kept going through the motions as if nothing was really wrong. For over a year, he lived every day with that sin in his life, every day going, oh, until finally the prophet Nathan came. And the prophet looked at him and told him, called him out, told him a story. David heard the story and went, what? Who is this man? And Nathan said, you, buddy, you're the man. It's you, King David. That's who I'm talking about. Now, that's paraphrasing, obviously. But there's some things we need to learn from David. You see, we need to be restored. 
We talked about the door of restoration in the very first sermon in this series. How do we restore ourselves? How do we clean, cleanse ourselves from sin? Number one, take responsibility for your failure. Take responsibility for your failure. I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay, listen, listen close. No one can make you do anything. You're responsible for your own failures. You're responsible for your own choices. I'm responsible for my own choices. I have to understand that my sins, my mistakes, and my failures are my fault. When I refuse to confess my sin in Psalms 32, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy upon me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all of my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Psalms 32, 3 and 5. We live in a society that loves to play the blame game, that loves to say, well, he made me do it. They made me do it. She made me do it. This group made me do it. I wasn't thinking and I did it. And so we come up with all of these reasons and all of these things that we blame other people for our mistakes. We blame the company. We blame the boss. We blame our wives or husbands. We blame our family members. We blame everybody. But we have to look into that mirror, turn it to that five times magnification so we can take a really good close look at our failures and take responsibility for our actions. I have to forget my sins so that I can be forgiven because I can't truly be forgiven until I confess my sins. Now, we have an altar here. You may have noticed it. It needs to be used more often. And I'm talking to me. I don't know about your life, but I know in my life, I need to use the altar more because I have a tendency to be like King David. Uh, I'll just ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. The ostrich syndrome, you know, when you stick your head in the sand and if you can't see your mistake, nobody else can either and God will forget about it. No, it doesn't work that way. I found that out. God doesn't forget about your sin. God doesn't forget about your shortcomings. God keeps gently nudging you, reminding you. Sometimes he sends people into your life to remind you. But we have to be willing to come to this altar and leave our sin behind. You know what I like to do? I mentioned it once before. I like to come to the altar. I have a tendency to come to the altar and lay my sin at the altar. And then when I start to get up, when I think God's not looking, I kind of take it and stick it back in my pocket and scurry back to my seat so I can worry about it some more. When you come to the altar, when you give God your sins and ask for forgiveness, you know what happens? When you ask God about the sin in your life, God goes, what sin? What are you talking about? Because God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know how far that is because I'm not very good with geography and distance. People use words like miles and north and south, and I'm going, what's this north-south thing they're talking about? Because my wife has always said that if you put me in my backyard blindfolded me, turned me around three times and left me, I'd starve to death in my backyard because I'd never find the house. And, and that's true. And I'm ashamed to admit it. Men aren't supposed to admit things like that, but it's true. But I have a tendency to want to carry my sin back home with me. God says, confess your sin. Admit your failures. Let go of your guilt. Finally, I confessed all of my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. David learned a lesson. And he learned that lesson after he had been humbled. 
He learned that lesson after he realized that he was not the great I am. He might be the great King David, but he was not the Alpha and the Omega. He was not the creator and sustainer of the universe. He was not the beginning and the end. David had to confess his sin before God. You want to know how to learn humbly? Live in such a way that you're in constant confession. Do you remember the verse that says, rejoice in everything? Again, I say rejoice. You ever wonder how in the midst of struggles can you rejoice all the time? You do that by being in a constant state of confession. What do I mean by that? Be willing at any moment, at any point in your life, at any day, hour, second, minute, week, month, year, century, whatever, to confess and say, God, have mercy on me, a failure, a sinner. Because as I've told you before, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. That's all I am. Over the months and years ahead, I hope that we're together. You'll hear me talk a lot about grace. And you may think, why does he talk so much about grace? Because I have experienced God's grace. Because I know about God's grace. Because I'm a sinner saved by God's grace. And I'm going to keep preaching God's grace. I'm going to keep preaching forgiveness of sins and restoration and how to love completely and to live passionately and to learn humbly. It's like the old story, and I'll close with this. There was a pastor who came for his very first sermon at the church, which has been not too many weeks ago for me. And he got up in the pulpit, and he preached this amazing sermon. And the people were just astounded. Not that I did that, but the people really loved the sermon. They came up to him, shook his hand, congratulated him on a wonderful sermon. And he smiled and humbly said, thank you. The next week he got up, he preached the exact same sermon, word for word, same scriptural references. Every word was the same. Every motion was the same. And the people were a little taken aback and confused. Well, third week he came, he got in the pulpit, he preached exactly the same sermon again, word for word, same motion, same scripture. Finally, one of the deacons in the church came up to him and said, Brother, we really loved that sermon the first time you preached it, and it was really good the second time you preached it, but the people are beginning to growl and gripe a little bit that you're preaching the same sermon three times in a row. And the preacher goes, I understand. He got up the fourth Sunday, preached the same sermon again. The whole deacon body came, poured him into a back room and said, something's got to give. What are you doing preaching the same sermon over and over again? You need to change sermons. And the preacher looked at the deacon body and said, when you do what I told you the first time, I'll change sermons. Sometimes we have to understand, God wants us to just humble ourselves and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what King David did. King David learned from experience and suffering that what he had to do was to fall to his knees before God and say, God, have mercy. That's what I challenge you to do this morning. You don't have to come to the altar, but I will tell you there's something right and sweet and fitting when God's people come to the altar. Don't worry about what somebody's going to think. Don't, don't do this. Don't go through your mind and thinking, well, they'll think something's wrong in my life. Well, there is something wrong in your life. There's something wrong in my life because I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. Confess your sins, learn humbly, love completely, and live passionately. That's what God calls us to do. Can you pray with me? Lord, we thank you this day. We thank you that we can come to you and confess our sins to you. 
We thank you that we can come to you and say, Lord, please have mercy upon me, and God is quick to forgive. That's the amazing thing, the thing that I, I, I just, I can't put my hand around. But God is quick to forgive. God wants to forgive. God is waiting for me to say, I messed up. And when I do, God is quick to forgive me of my sin. Help us to realize that we need to humble ourselves and learn to ask God for forgiveness. We can live passionately. We can love completely when we learn humbly to follow after the things of God. Again, that chorus of a beautiful hymn that I love, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Be with us, Father. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to do greater things than you have done through the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to realize that we need to learn from your word, and we need to humble ourselves and apply those learned things, those teachings to our lives. And we ask, Lord, these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in whose matchless, wonderful, awesome, amazing name we pray and the people say, Amen. stand as we join together singing the glory pottery. as we join together singing Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me.
you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you, we come to you as a people who are either in struggles, have gone through a struggle, or getting ready to enter into a struggle. Help us to realize